0: Hello and welcome to the Fish on Ted podcast, where we talk about the business of hunting and fishing. Well, hello, this is Ted Johnson with the Fish on Ted podcast, and I want to welcome everyone uh, for uh, listening in. We're recording this just a couple days before Christmas in 2018, and we've got a real distinguished guest with us today. And then uh, that we have Brian Kinsey from Brian Kinsey Guide Service out of Northern California. And without stealing a whole lot of his fire, let's uh, let's bring Brian into the conversation. Brian, are you there?
1: I'm here, Chad. How are you guys
0: doing? <laughs> We're doing well. We're doing well. Thanks so much for uh, spending a little bit of your time today, uh, giving us a little background uh, on Kinsey Guide Service yes sir well we're uh, uh,
1: just a family outfitter and guide service out of northern california not uh-huh. to be confused with uh southern california although we do have a lot of our uh, clients out of the south and the bay area but uh we're really big up in the north state and uh, we do both uh you know uh, full service guide service both hunting and fishing and we uh also do alaska
0: Wow, you're very diverse. How long have you been uh, been guiding, Brian?
1: On and off for uh, probably 20 to 25 years uh, as a professional. I uh, did some 501c3 nonprofit guiding for years when I was uh, blessed enough to be working in a uh, different career that uh, made me a lot of money, so I was allowed or afforded uh to take a lot of uh kids and uh women out both fishing and hunting to keep our uh keep our women and children in the woods and on the waters
0: that's important to do nowadays we have uh, too many kids in front of television sets with controllers in their hands and they forget that the great outdoors probably has more adventure than their what they're watching on their screens
1: yes that is correct and not only that i mean uh you know, the women, and you know, have a, a big chunk of our voting population, if not the majority. And, uh, you know, we, we need to really get these, these women out into the woods and on the waters because when things come up in our fish and game uh, commissions, you know, we really need their vote and we need, really need women and, and kids in the outdoors so that we're also raising our, our kids uh to keep our traditions healthy and alive also i mean we work with uh the gwg girls the girls with guns uh jen and narissa and uh ted lighty with uh, norcal firearms instructions these are big big companies and gwg obviously is worldwide and Uh they're doing a phenomenal phenomenal job of of getting the uh the women and children uh in the woods and on the water, along with the NWTF. We do a lot of work with them too. And that, uh, you know, we're, I mean, if you listen to the meat eater podcast and and others, you'll see we're losing our lands and we're losing our waters and we're losing our privileges and our rights, you know, every single year. And and I just lost some real significant land uh, in California that I guide on too, that was purchased by an Australian company so really? very very frustrated about that, yeah.
2: Wow. Yep, we have
1: a uh, we have Roseburg Timberland, which so oh, I want to say I want to say it was around one hundred seventy seven thousand acres, which is in an area where I live, northeastern California, of uh, just rural mountains and and the wilderness, and it was owned by the Ford family out of Oregon, right. and uh, but it was always old, always open to the public well this year an australian company called Landvest came in and purchased it and locked all the gates shut not only can you not travel there with vehicles but you can't even walk on this land anymore and it's literally in my backyard
0: oh my that uh, sort of changes things up for you didn't it
1: yeah so i mean that that's the segue to the uh the importance of getting, you know, every child, every family, every woman, everybody in the woods and on the water to enjoy it as a as a family, right? I mean, families That's... that hunt, hunt, fish, and pray together, stay together.
0: I love that. No, you're you're exactly right. You are you are exactly right. It uh, growing up in Oregon, you know, um, it it's amazes me. How much land that we used to run on that is no longer available to us, and it, it and it's really That's sad. It is really sad that um, we're we're losing that that battle right now. But uh, with people like you uh, as advocates for you know uh, the outdoors, uh, hopefully we can turn this around a little bit.
1: Yeah, I hope so. I mean, there is some some great organizations really fighting that for us right now, but. We'll see. We'll see where it takes us. I mean, you know, I'm getting up there and trying to pass the torch on to my boys, and wow. already there's things there's things that they cannot do that I was uh, afforded to do as a as a child growing up because those privileges have already been taken away.
0: Yeah. Good point. Good point. So, uh, uh, Brian, you uh,
1: you call Northern California home? Is that correct? Yeah. So. So myself, my family, my father was uh, born and raised in the Sonora, California area, right there at Yosemite. Most people in the country know where Yosemite is. You Uh, And uh, then then my mom's side of the family is Nevada, Winnemucca, Nevada area. So we're just kind of a, you know, just been a mountain family pretty much our our whole lives, just born and raised in the woods. I did do a small stint of school, uh, down in the Bay area for a while because I excelled in sports. Uh, but as soon as I, as soon as I could get the heck out of there, I got back out of there and found me a, uh, a beautiful lady, a beautiful wife and, uh, got back out of there moved back North, got back into the mountains and, uh, started raising our family, you know, in the mountains where we, you know, where, where we feel we belong and. And uh, so, yeah, I started, I mean, we're just a, a hunting and fishing family, a logging family, tree cutting family that just, you know, spent all our time in the woods. And uh, I just feel like I'm suffocating if I'm not in the woods or on the water. And uh, I'm a little different, a little different from a lot, uh, quite a few other guides and outfitters I. You know, the scary thing is I don't want to be looked at as, uh, you know, a jack of all trades and an expert at none. But, uh, you know, our family pretty much does all the outdoor industry pretty well. We uh, mm-hmm. we, we like to uh, – well, first of all, we have a saying, if anybody calls themselves an expert, they're not an expert. But uh, we like to think that we're real good at, uh, at fishing and guiding and uh, hunting and guiding. And, yeah, you know, I think I – there's, there's some rumors as to how I got into, uh, to bear. My wife calls me a bear medic, uh, magnet. She tells all the clients that, uh, I don't care if you go fishing, turkey hunt, deer hunt with Brian, you're probably going to have a bear incident because, uh, ever since he was 12 years old, they just, you know, they, they, they seek him out and find them. And, you know, it's kind of funny. I don't know why that is, but, but it, it is the truth. I, uh, I don't know, maybe I ate just too much bacon growing up, but they'd they find me. And uh, so I at 12 years old, I was with my dad in the woods, and uh, my dad was quite the prankster, and he would do things like uh, we'd be walking together in the woods, and he would throw his gun to the ground and take off running and screaming just as I was a little guy. And I'd be, of course, screaming behind him, wondering what he was running from and then he just started busting up laughing just just trying to scare me in the woods and
0: uh and one day when I was 12 years old he did it and I
1: and I called him on it and told him he was uh, he was teasing me and he said no he wasn't and kind of hiked down this little hill where he had said he saw a bear run down the hill and I hiked down it and uh, sure enough he wasn't teasing I had 12 years old had my First full-on charge, if you're asking a 12-year-old, that chased me all the way back to my dad. And, of course, my dad was running towards me, and he's a big man, right. screaming and yelling for me to lay, to lay down so he could shoot the bear. And I was, at 12 years old, I was like, hell no, and ran right past him to the truck. And whew, I got a really good butt whipping, and my dad was in tears because it scared the hell out of him. And
2: I oh, learned
1: my first bite. Yeah, learned my first valuable lesson, and then all of it. And ever since then, I, uh, you know, I've just been in the woods with the bears. I, you know, I'm, I've, I've always tracked them, sought them out, smelled them out, you know, you name it. I've, uh, I've now spent probably uh, forty plus years uh, studying bears as a shade tree biologist. You know.
0: Wow. Well, and 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 I know that if you have a a specialty or a passion, it, it's bear hunting. You were mentioning to me as we were uh, getting ready for the interview here that you're actually turning down bear hunts on a pretty regular basis, just because you don't have necessarily the bandwidth uh, of, of, of you know of, to handle everybody that's contacting you, right?
1: Yeah, you know, I the the real issue is. Um, well, I, got, I just love the fact that there's 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 closet bear hunters in California all over the place, and uh, and when I the reason I say closet is because my goodness, if you're from the Bay Area or if you're from Southern California and you want to go bear hunting, you better don't tell your neighbors and you you know you don't boast about it around town or anything like that because they you know they they voice their opinion you know. Uh, poorly about hunting down in those areas however that's where probably 90% of all my clients come from and California has very strict uh, laws uh, that pretty much do everything they can to prevent you from being successful I mean you can't use hound dogs like you can in Idaho and other states New Mexico Uh, You can't use bait like you can in Alaska and Canada, Minnesota, Idaho, you know, all the, all the areas that are very, very populated with bear, you can either use hounds or bait or both, but in California, you can use neither. Heck, you can even, you can even Google, uh, hunt by, can you hunt by water with, uh, for, for bear in California, and, uh, one of the, uh, game wardens wrote an article about how it's how it's uh, unfair chase or not any true sportsman would never hunt a deer or a bear or any wildlife by water
2: and nice.
1: i'm you know i'm thinking are you flipping kidding me are you kidding me <laughs> yeah. what what about those of us that would that prefer our organic meat that prefer, prefer wild game rather than you know raised uh you know beef and and raised you know fish and farmed fish and all that so if i because i'm not a a huge trophy hunter and Mm -hmm. if i want to go get my game, if i want to be successful and get my the return on my investment on my hunt license my tag which is also expensive i'm Mm -hmm. I'm, you're gonna frown upon you're gonna frown upon me because i found my game by by water yeah wow To, to be more specific to be more specific, they're talking about any man-made water. So if I find a a man-made guzzler in the woods for the cattle or for the wildlife or anything like that, if I hunt anywhere near it, like within a quarter of a mile, not yeah. only am I breaking the law, breaking the law, but I'm it, it's unsportsmanlike. So really? it sounds like I'm being a, being a little sour, but the, my point is is boy, they sure do everything they can. To prevent you from from being successful, and I'll tell you what: ever since they they outlawed hound hunting in California, I think it's been seven, eight, nine years now. Right. We have never met we have never met the quota since, not even close. So we have a sixteen hundred limit a year. It goes from about August to to the end of December right or, and or until 1600 bear are harvested well ever since hound hunting closed we have not met that quota so guess what our bear population is significantly increasing and anybody that's a good conservationist know that you know your habitat can only sustain so much that's right right so you're seeing more and more incidents of bears that are that are breaking into homes. I happen to, to also uh, uh, be a licensed trapper, also, and mm-hmm. so occasionally I get call, I get called to depredate, you know, animals and bears and that kind of stuff that are breaking into cabins or whatever. And uh, sure enough, man, it is on the increase like crazy. So, so instead of using this renewable, valuable resource, what we are actually doing is calling fish and game and complaining that a bear is in my trash or a bear is under my deck or a bear broke into my cabin or a bear this or bear that. And so they're coming out with their traps, trapping the bears and euthanizing them. And when you depredate a bear in California, you cannot eat the bear and you cannot use the hide. It has to be buried. So it's a total waste. Really? Yeah. So these ignorant people of ignorant people of California that, that think that they're doing right by these animals are actually causing more harm than they are good. Instead of a healthy population, we are I believe personally that we have already trended to an unhealthy population. Wow. Now you say, so so here's here's what's really tricky. And so then you go, Oh, okay, well shoot, you must be killing a lot of bears and have a hundred percent kill rate. No, it's not. <laughs> Excuse me. The uh, The success rate is very tough because there is a lot of hunters in California. And as soon as that, that uh, deer season dinner bell dings and all the hunters go in the woods, all the bears become nocturnal. Oh. So, yep. Yeah, so it makes it extremely tough to get a bear also because, First of all, their nose, you know, some biologists will say, you know, a thousand times better than a hound dog. Some will say 10,000 better, better than a hound dog. And some will tell you the only thing that's got a better nose than a, than a bear is, uh, is the salmon, which uh, smell parts per billion. Right. Well, I, I can tell you as a guy that's in the woods with these bears all the time, their noses are absolutely unbelievable. So I usually run about 40 tree cameras and I pattern my bears, you know, to see which ones are actually coming out. they comfortable enough to come out during the day.
2: Uh-huh. And when they
1: come out during the, when I get them patterned, that's when I take a client, you know, on that trail or by that wallow, because I really put most of them by wallows. Right. And uh, then we hunt, we hunt the bears that are, that are actually coming out during the day. Well, you could have wind in your face for, three days in a row and the one day you go out there you get one little swirl your hunt's over that bear's not gonna not gonna pop out of his bedding area and or he's gonna smell you coming because they know where to lay where the wind's gonna come to them from where they feed and where they get their water and where they wallow they always they're smart enough to lay where whichever way you come in they're gonna smell you
2: right so
1: You've got all those things going against you. You've got the hunting pressure, which you would think is would be good to jump them up. It's not. They become nocturnal. And then you, their noses are so incredible. They're the most inc- toughest, toughest animal, in my opinion, to hunt in North America is the bear. Wow. Wow.
0: You know, I, yep. I, I talked to uh, a number of people over the years and they they're 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 always talking about going black bear hunting in in british columbia and i'm going you know yep. i think we i think we probably have more bear in uh, northern california than we have in british columbia anymore and uh um people just don't realize that that there's such a population of bear where you are
1: yeah i think uh, the last time i looked it's been a few years since i uh got into the, the census numbers, but uh, I think it was 44,000 just a few years, you know, about four or five years ago, and I know it's probably got to be pushing between 50 and 60,000 right now, and you got to really look at the, the geographical area that's more of the the northern California and then the, the eastern, uh, you know, from, from southern, uh, kind of mid-California on the eastern side there is a few in the mid-california on the western side but the majority are all running up from about mid-california all the way up the, the eastern side of the state and then probably north of san francisco all the way up to the oregon border on the western side of the state so uh-huh. it's really only about half of half of california and uh that's where that population is about fifty thousand and a few years ago I was playing around with the 44,000 number based on the amount of terrain that we have. And I was coming up with, there's about one bear every two square miles in, in bear habitat in California. Um, but I, you know, I, I got to follow that up with, I'm not, I'm just a 102 IQ guy from the mountains. So, uh, you know, take that for what it's worth.
0: (laughs) So, so somebody wants to, uh, um, come and book with you and, and have the best chance of getting a, a bear Brian how many days are we talking about that, that you'd like to uh, take them out hunting um, you know and I would imagine you're doing a lot of scouting and and uh, a, a lot of prep work for them coming in also but if, are we talking a three-day hunt five-day hunt? What, uh, what, what's the norm out there
1: well, our scouting is uh, pretty much year-round. Uh, you know, my cameras are up year-round. Matter of fact, sometimes I forget I have cameras out there, and I'll stumble across them a year or two later and, and pull a chip out of them and find just a goldmine of, of things that you see on there. Everything but a Bigfoot, I do have to say. Really? Um, but, yeah, everything but a Bigfoot. So we have, we tailor our hunts. We're actually even doing something, did something new this year. Um, but, uh, for the most, the majority of our hunts are three day hunts and, uh, that's a public land three day hunts. I think we have them for about $1,800 right now, which if you look at any hunts across America or across the world right now, you'll find that that's one of the, the most inexpensive hunts around and, and, uh, I I think they're inexpensive one is because I have a conscience and two is because the success rate is not real high. It's not a, you know, 60, 70, 80. It's more of a 30, 40, 50, depending on the year. Mm -hmm. And it is because it is because no hound hunting, no, no use of bait like up in British Columbia and Canada, you know, they get to use bait up there. So the success rate is quite a bit higher. Right. And, uh, and so, you know, we really have to do our due diligence out there. We have to really focus on scent control. is really huge, also. And uh, but three day public land hunt is usually about eighteen hundred. A four day private land hunt is twenty five hundred. And we're doing uh, uh, DIYs. We did a test this year on DIYs, and it worked out really, really well. We we brought out two. Mm-hmm. To do DIYs and w- and one was successful and one wasn't and the one that wasn't was was oh uh, what a what a phenomenal individual this person was this person out of the military for eight years and,
2: excuse
1: me so we had a um uh, this young man I think I could say his name his name's Adam I won't say his last name okay uh, he is he is uh out of the military special forces has never hunted in his life he's uh, based out of southern cal and is now uh in the in the special forces private sector very very un, just a, a unbelievable young man never hunted and has always wanted to hunt and came up so i I spent uh, two days in the woods with him just teaching him. And then uh, I let him go do his DIY by himself for a few days, just disappearing in the woods with the bears and showed him, you know, sign and markings and scat and, you know, all the pictures right in the area that he was. So there was no doubt he was surrounded by bears. And man, that guy said of all the crazy stuff he has been through overseas and in Afghanistan and everything. That by far, he said, was very intense, <laughs> and, and he just had an unbelievable time out there. He, he he was so excited when he'd get back each day back to our, our place to report in as to what he saw, what he found, and that type of stuff. But to give you an idea, that's only $1,000, and you come stay in one of our guide rooms, excuse me, one of our client rooms,
2: <clears throat>
1: and uh, it's a two-day uh-huh. Uh, DIY so you just, you just come drive up or fly up doesn't matter if you if you if you fly up I give you one of our vehicles or we even have places close to our home uh-huh. give you a GPS with all all the coordinates already marked on the waypoint you go through a two to four hour orientation with me and then uh, you know a little some video and some pictures we look at the tree camera pics and And, uh, if you've never hunted before, then I'll usually go out with you on that first day just to kind of show you what you're looking for and looking in the woods and that type of stuff. Sure. And, uh, we're, I think we're going to do, we're, we're, the reason we're doing that is I've got so many guys that I'm turning down that are actually avid hunters. They just need a spot to go and then need to be taught, you know, uh, taught about bears. So They don't really need me to hold their hand, hold their hand through the woods so then if they get one, I have a sat phone and or, you know, they have their cell phones with if they're within text range. And if they do, like we had a, a Russian lady this year do a DIY and she got one. And, uh, man, she just listening to her voice as she was calling us to say she got one, you know, the adrenaline and she was so shaky at everything and she didn't want to approach the bear and, you know, and all that. And I'm, we're like, perfect, that's part of the package. You call us and i send my sherpas up there and they approach the bear they will teach you how to cut it out work alongside with you they'll drag it out they'll process it they'll help you get it to the butcher they'll help you get it to fish and game to get it validated they'll help you uh, get it to a taxidermy if you want to get a taxidermy and uh so went one for two this year just on the, the little test we were doing and got feedback from both of them which was off the charts so if you look at our Hey. our feedback on our website, it's so far, I mean, knock on wood, it's five-star ratings. Um, you know, and even the ones that are not successful in our bear hunts, they'll flat out tell you, you know, what a great experience they had with us in the woods. And the amount that they learned is more that they've learned, you know, anywhere from 10 to 40 years in the in the woods hunting. They've never learned as much as they did from from my family going in the woods with us. So, right. You know, a
0: question I was scratching my head on, you know, we, we've we heard a lot in the media about the fires in Northern California. Has that affected your operations?
1: It has just a little bit. Uh, the real sad and scary part uh, about a couple of those wildfires was it was, you uh, the, uh, the campfire up in Paradise, that was really centered around not necessarily hunting area, just a mountainous town in Paradise in that area. That was one of the most insane things we have ever seen. And, you know, just a few months prior to that was the campfire, which affected us personally with my, uh, I'm sorry, it was the car fire uh affect us personally because i had a daughter and and husband and a a couple of my grandkids were affected by that they're all healthy and safe and okay but uh they were right right there um and you know and the the amount of friends and family that lost things was big the west side of redding california surrounded by french gulch and whiskey town uh, on up uh towards Siskiyou. Uh, was definitely affected, um, especially for bear and deer. Fortunately for me, ninety percent of my hunts are on the east side of uh, northern of, of I five, um, and the east side of Redding, California, and the east side of Shasta Lake. If you're looking at, you know, Google Maps or anything, right. the majority of my hunt my hunts are. Um, in the Fall River area, the Burney area, the Whitmore area, the Oak Run area, the Montgomery Creek area, and Big Bend area. And none of those uh, had any fire at all. Um, occasionally, like this year, I had, I think, three hunts, which would be called the B-Zone side, which is the west side of I-5. And there's still plenty, plenty of bear and plenty of habitat over there. Um, for hunting deer and bear, but but I'd be lying if I didn't say that you know it didn't have an impact. It definitely did in some really good good spots and good areas, and I definitely lost a few uh, tree cameras over there. Oh wow! <clears throat> you know, what I mean? yeah. So it was it was crazy. I'm going to switch
0: gears on you just a little bit. Um, you know, in, in dealing with you and in working with you over the last couple of years, I've I've become more educated in the opportunities in Northern California. And one of the things that astounded uh, astounded me was the opportunity to to catch trophy rainbow trout up in your part of the uh, up in your part of the world. And you uh, you provide guide services and drift uh, 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 drift boats and and uh, trips were people that want to do that also, right?
1: Yeah. a matter of fact, that's, you know, I was up at uh, four this morning and had a trip this morning. My boy also, one of my boys had a trip um, also. And if you look at our website at www.kincyguideservice.com, that's K-Y-N-C-Y guideservice.com, you'll see that my boys also guide and I've got a 17 year old that's already showing and interested in guiding also. And they're all, I would, you know, I, I'm uh, just a proud dad here, but I would say, you know, I've got three accomplished, uh, fly guides out there. Well, two of them are guides and one of them 17 years old and they're accomplished both in spay casting, uh, uh, oarsmen on drift boats and rafts. Um, and, uh, yeah, we run five different drift boats and rafts, uh, NRS rafts, those of you that are familiar with framed rafts.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, a lot of people don't know that, I mean, when you, when somebody says you're from California, they're thinking of an ocean and a, and a guy on a surfboard. And uh, so I post all the time on social media what, what Northern California really looks like, which is snow-capped mountains. pristine rivers like the trinity river the ill the mad river the smith the klamath river and one of our, our biggest rivers that doesn't get talked about a lot is the upper sacramento river and the sacramento river uh coming out of keswick dam and shasta lake a lot of people don't know that is ranked on the top four tailwater trout fisheries in the United States by Trouts Unlimited. Really? So That's it is Yeah. Let me say that again. It is considered a top four tailwater trout fishery in the United States. And we're not talking about planters either. We're talking about wild trout. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we are so blessed that we still have this resource out there um to fish and that does you know and i'll tell you a little bit how we got into that so we were doing uh a lot of uh uh hunting and and um we did hound hunting too a lot of you know a lot of people didn't like hound hunting and that type stuff but
0: but we were houndsmen
1: also and uh very very extremely tough hunts that people didn't know enough about but uh when they outlawed hound hunting you know eight nine years ago that's about the age my boys were you know mid-teenagers, and they were showing an interest in being guides, but we got fly fished for our peace time. That was like our family time mm-hmm. was to get away from the people, get away from the craziness, get away from everything, and go fly fishing and, and, and uh, gather our sanity and uh, then when they got rid of uh of uh hound hunting we said wow well what you know what are we gonna do to subsidize this income loss right and i said how do, you know how do you how do you guys feel about you know teaching other people how to fly fish and and uh taking them out on the water and uh, they're like well we've never really run a, a boat like you dad and that kind of stuff so mm-hmm. i started teaching them at a very young age Kind of selfishly a little bit because if I taught them how to oar safely a boat, then I got to fish more. So, Bruce. as an example, yeah, as an example, I made my my oldest boy when he was seventeen years old. He wanted to get his guide license at eighteen, and I said I won't license you unless you do a thousand hours on the sticks. What that means is is jumping jumping on the uh, drift boat and oaring a thousand hours that were charted by me. Mm-hmm. Now that doesn't mean you going out with your friends and you telling me you, you did eight hours on a sticks. They had to be charted by me. And then once you got that thousand hours and, you know, and you go through some safety training with me, then I will, uh, I will license you up. Mm-hmm. And, uh, sure enough, we, sure enough, we did. And, uh, little Brian, my uh, oldest boy is 25, just about the day, day after Christmas. He's turning 25. And then my, uh, my middle son, Nathaniel, can't see. He's also been guiding since he was 18, both Alaska and, uh, and California. And, yeah. uh, by the way, Brian, little Brian also guides Alaska and California. And uh, he'll be turning 22 uh, December 27th. So he's been guiding for four years and little Brian's been guiding well, six, seven years now. And uh, five of those years Brian's been guiding the light. Brian's been guiding Alaska since he was just about to turn nineteen. And man, he's made quite a name for himself up there in Alaska too. He's had great, great mentors up there. Felix Stern is a, is a, a huge name up there. He yeah. works with Jimmy Jack Drath, Jimmy Drath, Jack Drath of Jimmy Jack. Anybody that's been to Alaska probably knows Jimmy Jack. Sure. Uh, Brian's we we've, we've sent him out uh, in float planes in remote Alaska doing the eight day fly fishing raft trips, guiding those where you're you're out in the remote wilderness for eight days, floating the river out there, um, and so and then me myself. I probably hit pretty much every major mountain range in the United States, anywhere from the Adirondacks, you know, down south, to Appalachians, the Smokies, uh, not a not a whole lot of stuff in the south and southeast, but
2: mm-hmm. uh, Colorado, Wyoming, the
1: Miracle Mile, you know, all through Montana, Idaho, Snake, I mean, you name it, Hoback, uh, you know, just gaining all the years to share with our our clients now am I are we experts i'm going to say no again i don't i don't know that anybody can call them an ex themselves an expert fly fisherman because man there is just entomology in itself you know it is is an insane uh topic to learn you know uh that's that's bugs in the hatch and, and all those types of things and just as they just as, soon as you think you're a still head expert you can go out there and get humbled pretty quick um uh, but yeah we uh we're out there <laughs> on the water pretty close to every day um other than when bear season comes around i still had usually have one of my kids out there um so yeah we're uh we've been uh, just knocking it out of the park every single day on uh on fly fishing uh the trinity the ill the mad the klamath um, all those those uh rivers and right now the trinity has been fishing really really well
0: you've got what steelhead in there right now
1: yeah yeah steelhead has been doing great right now awesome
0: so so uh, a a question on on the upper sack how, how big are the trout that you're catching up there, Brian?
1: Oh, we, I would say on the sack, um, your average is probably pushing 18 inches. We get uh, probably the majority of our fish between 16 and 20 inches. And then mm-hmm. almost every trip, almost every trip, we're pulling a, a 21, 22, 23. And then we get occasional uh, 24s and uh, 25s. And I think our, our record on the sack has been about twenty-seven. And then on the, the Trinity, you know, we're catching twenty-five to thirties, uh, thirty-inch stillhead. Uh, it's not known for its monster stillhead, but they're still pretty good and pretty crazy fighters. And then our our coastal stillhead get quite a bit, uh, quite a bit larger.
0: Well, Brian, this has been really enlightening. You know, wh- one of the things that I, 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 I don't say enough, but I truly believe in the bottom of my heart. That being a guiding outfitter is one of the most prestigious, and I think the rewarding, most rewarding things that you can do in life. And the reason I say that, you know, I I, I think about relatives um, that I've had over the years, like you, that were outdoorsmen, and lying there on their on their deathbed, if we want to talk uh, uh, morbidity, um, I doubt that they're having any thoughts of gosh, what a, you know, what a great business life I had, and look at all of the deals that I put together and that sort of thing. What's going through their head is, you know, gosh, you know, remember the time that uh, we went out and and we shot that whitetail, or I I landed that 28-inch rainbow, and those memories are created by people in your industry, and, um, and, and, you know, besides that passion, which you obviously have, you know, what what else does a, a guide have to have in his heart or in, in his skill set to be good at this business?
1: Yeah, that you know, those are great questions. Um I will tell you this that there are all different kinds of great guides for different reasons. Um but if you have the if you want to be a guy because you want to make a lot of money like Jim Shockey, you're in it for the wrong reason. <laughs> because you know, I was a corporate I was a corporate executive, and I was a six figure guy for a number of years. Hated, hated it. My wife used to say, "I would." This is in Northern Minnesota, and I would, I would, be home happy. I'd get up in the morning, put on my Ferragamo shoes and my fifteen hundred dollars suit, and she said I just turned into a jerk, and uh, that's because I felt like it, I just I hated my life at that time, and everybody kept telling me everybody that would come across me that would say, Do "You make how much? Oh man, you 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 put up a lot with a lot of crap for that kind of money," and if I finally hit me, you know where I was like, there ain't no money, no money worth me not being in the mountains or on the water. Right. And uh, so I finally, I gave up a very prestigious and very lucrative career. And, I'll you know, to, to go out and do this. And I'll tell you something else. Um, I, w- I was not, yeah you know, I'm a, I'm a, a, a very Strong God-fearing man, so I, I, I definitely believe in God, and I don't care if it turns anybody off or not. Um, mm-hmm. I've been given I've been giving blessings after blessings, but but I was I, I was also growing up. I didn't like people very much. I mean, I you know, I just I didn't want to be around people. Again, I'm I'm from the mountains i see all the stuff going on in the big cities and all that, and I would just, oh, gosh, how can people be like this and do this and live like that? Just didn't like being around people. Well, I also believe the good Lord has a little bit of a sense of humor, too. So when, when I got into this business, he put me with a demographic that I didn't like very much, and that is the majority of our demographic comes from big cities. Mm-hmm. come from corporate offices, come from blue, blue-collar jobs, you know, just a hard-working everyday American that are in that grind every day that, that I did not like or did not want to be around.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: through prayer and a lot of, uh, of uh, faith, I took it to another level where I, I also used this a little bit as a ministry. So... I don't, when we get out on the water and the woods, we really don't, I, I never bring up religion, and I never bring up politics. Those are the two things that I don't allow my my guides or even myself to bring up.
2: Right. Unless
1: the client brings it up and wants to discuss it, and mm-hmm. they have to bring it up first. And then we always preface it with, hey, you know, we really, dude, it's your time to get away from religion, get away from uh, work, no shop talk, no no politics, no nothing. This is your time to get away from all that. But they always somehow get back into it a little bit because they're really, really interested in a guide's life. Mm-hmm. You know, they want to know your story. They want to know where you've been, what you did, what got you into this, and all those types of things. Me, personally, I, I flat out tell them. It's the direction that the good Lord took me. And because I really didn't like, don't like people too much or didn't like people too much, took me in this direction to really show me how wonderful people really are, especially when you get them, you know, one-on-one or two-on-one or four-on-one. Because in Alaska, we guide four people at a time. On my drift boats, it's usually two people at a time. And on my bear hunts, you get really intimate with one at a time. And uh, man, you really, these folks become family.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: uh, I don't want to sugarcoat it too much because I'll say about eighty-five percent of them become family, and then there's ten percent that are still, you know, good people and neat people, but you don't care if they book again. And then right. there's those five percent that you're like, you, you we're kind of like Uber drivers. I, I bet most guys do what I do, and we rank our clients too. Right. So. You know, Uber drivers rank their passengers, and a lot of people don't know that, just like you rank uh, the, the Uber driver.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: so we on my phone, I have uh, a one through five star. And if you're a one star and you're calling me to book a hunt or something, I'm like, I'm pretty sure I'm booked that whole year. <laughs> Whatever um, the what date is, I'm booked, right? <laughs> yeah, and then, yeah. but that's just that 5%, because you know they they want to they want to do drugs on the hunt. like you know even marijuana which is going to be legal across the country and all that and I don't care that much about it but I don't think it mixes as well as guns and I don't think it mixes as well with drift boats so if you want to come on my drift boat and get high or go out hunting and get high I don't I don't want you around mm-hmm. so back to your original point I you know one is I got into it because that's the direction the good lord took me two is what does it take to be a good guy i would say number one is you've got to really be passionate and competitiveness and competitive
0: Good point. and
1: i say that uh, because the majority if, if you go to alaska and you see us on the kenai river or the kasilop river or any of those rivers up there um you'll see a bunch of guys that are trying to get as get their clients limits every day we will work overtime we will work hard our outfitters are telling us you got to get them off by this time because they got to catch their plane or we need them back at the lodge for dinner but we're always asking the client can you stay just a little bit longer can we stay just a little bit longer because we want to have we want to be the boat that brings in the most and the biggest fish Mm -hmm. so the comp- and same thing when you're hunting for, for deer, bear, hogs, turkey, or anything, it's a competitiveness dr- drive to be the best at it. Well, you also have to have to have that competition, you know, under control first. True. You can't show fr- you can't show frustration if if you're having an off day, and we all have them. You have to be able to handle pressure very very well especially in the, more of the dangerous game world with, with, with bear hunting, you know, I've had multiple incidences. I've had my guns misfire twice on me. Now I'll never, I'll never use a semi-automatic weapon again. I've had two incidents now with semi-automatics. So I only use, uh, you know, lever action and revolver action now when I'm hunting both for, for wild dogs and bears. And, and, anyway. You have to be prepared for crisis at all time. I've witnessed and been a part of uh, some crisis out on the water, where on the Casilof River, as an a, an example, a, a guide passed out, and their and their clients on the boat is going past me, hollering and screaming at me that their their guide died or something happened to him, and he blacked out on the boat. So wow. you know, there's, there's stuff you've got you've got to be able to handle. Uh, crisis. I made a mistake once where I ran my boat up on a big rock because all my clients were happy and having a good time and and I was enjoying it with them and wasn't paying attention and I rode my ran my boat right up a Volkswagen sized rock. Ooh. Well, that could have turned out very ugly and dangerous but I showed composure. had a smile on my face. I said, calmly, you all need to put your, your PFEs on. I'm not worried about this and I had to dip my oar in one way, another way, rocking it in. But in all honesty, I was about a quarter of an inch from in the back of my boat down in that river.
2: Ooh, and yeah.
1: uh, when, I, when I pulled off that rock, they all cheered and laughed, and I laughed with them and everything. But I have to be honest, that was a very nerve-wracking and embarrassing situation because it happened in front of both my boys who also had uh, uh, clients on their boat going by looking at me. Like, what in the heck are you doing? Uh, and I'm not afraid to talk about, you know, those mistakes and those faults either. Any of those those guys out there that haven't had those crazy things uh, happen, then then uh, they're not telling you everything there is to know. And then the last thing I'm going to tell you that really, really helps is humbleness. Yes. My boys, Lil' Brian, he... On the, the internally, he's not the most humble young man. He's extremely competitive. Mm-hmm. He's extremely competitive. But I talk to him about the humbleness
0: all the time. And fortunately, all
1: my boys have dedicated their life to Christ, and and uh, so he, he he prays and he refers to God all the time on his on his competition. But he always right. wants to beat the other guy so bad. But the reason humbleness is so important is because other guides and other outfitters will take care of you when you're humble. If you go to them and you say you're, you're, you're struggling with your technique with, let's say, uh, catching silvers, you know, coho, mm-hmm. and you need some help, or if you're struggling running the tiller motor, you know, on the Kenai or, or running certain runs or working certain knots or whatever, man, these, these guides that, 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 the, the, we call them the OGs. Yeah, um, those guys will put their in case it ever makes it out. The guys like Felix Sturm or Ross Wilkerson from the Fly Shop in Redding, California, and and uh, and Gabriel. Uh, these guys will put their arm around you and and say, "Let me show you this. Let me show you that." If you go out there and you act all cocky, like you know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. and you act and talk like you know what you're doing and you don't, they'll sniff you right out. Your clients will sniff you right out.
0: Yeah. And you
1: will look like a complete idiot and you yep. will fail. And and the, the the OG guides out there will watch you fail. Right. So I would, I would say, you know, the, the competition and uh, the humbleness is, are two behaviors that are extremely important. And then, the professionalism is paramount yes. um uh, it's so easy to get wrapped up with certain clients where they're hardcore blue-collar construction guys and you go by another boat and you're like how did you catch yeah well we got six another you know and, and uh <laughs> you need to you know we i train my guys to be very very professional if you're having a great day on the Kenai eye or the casino and, and we're going by other boats, we talk to our guys like, Hey, if other boats look like they're struggling or, or say, how you guys doing? Just smile and wave and say, we're having a great time. There's no such thing as a bad day on the river. You know, don't start holding up 40 pound Kings and, and, you know, and doing all this. And, and if you're struggling as a guy catching fish and some, some guy courts you or holes yet, don't pull up to him in front of both your clients and his clients and start yelling at him and,
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: uh you know wait till afterwards and call the guy because chances are you're going to know who he works for or who he is. You know take it you know take it offline and and out of the way of the clients. Be yeah. prepared, you know, be be polished, have clean gear, clean boat, you know, all those types of things. So that that lacks a lot in our industry is being being professional, especially Absolutely. the newer guides that that are because you're going to have what we call a real fishy dude. You're going to have a guy that can catch fish and have caught fish his whole life, but then he gets clients on the boat and he can't catch a fish to save, save his life. Yeah. Because yeah. they're they're not they're not good instructors. They're they're not good communicators. And anybody that that knows anything about fishing is you've got to feel good about your gear, you got to feel good about your boat and you got to feel like you're going to catch of fish and if all your gear is clean and scent free and scrubbed down with lemon joy non-ultra chances are you're going to catch some fish but if you, you go out there with old, old roe and rotten sardine and your anchor rope's never been washed and you know and it stinks and you don't feel good when you go out there and your people don't feel good you're not going to catch fish and then you're mm-hmm. going to because you're not catching fish you're going to Look, look for some lame excuse when some other guy courts you or maybe there's no bait day or something and you're telling your clients that all those other boats are cheating, they're using bait on their boat that's why they're catching fish and we're not I right. mean you're gonna you're gonna you know just make all rationalize your poor behavior so okay. I'll just wrap it up and say professionalism uh, very competitive but very humble those are off-the-cuff traits that I think are very important in the industry to have very good you know and I, 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 go, go I just didn't want to lose my train of thought I was going to say something else that that I was actually talking with another guy today on the Trinity River one of the things that I, I am so proud of here in Northern California is the guides that we have and we have quite a few of them and we are, I mean, we get out there bumping boats pretty good every now and then on the SAC or the Trinity or, or even in the barge hole down south. But our our guides up here, man, we really take care of each other. We are really respectful. Mike, I think it's Mitchell that's how you say his last name, the owner of the fly shop. That is a world-renowned fly shop. We don't work for them. They're a competitor of ours. Right. But, man, they are phenomenal people and phenomenal owner, and phenomenal guys. And if I need a hand, uh, one of our guys needed a, got stuck the other day in, in some sand and yes. another guy just, and it's pouring rain and they come out and, and, pulled one of my guys out. Um, I mean, they'll just, and they nobody really bad each other. And on social media, we, we like each other's posts all the time. And, and, talk about how awesome they their fish look and their clients look man when I, i'm not gonna say the the other two states north of me but man i look at their posts and everything
2: yeah
1: and especially the, especially if you skip the one right above me and go to the one there they just man they rip on each other and they badmouth each other they laugh at the other you know you'll see somebody some guide with a client posting a uh a dark salmon that's not chrome and you'll get like 80 comments of and, and half of them from guides ripping on the guy about how what a what a joke it is that he would post this ugly salmon and now uh, you know and all this kind of stuff yeah we don't need any of that in the in the in the outfitter and guide industry it's man you go from 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 everyday work which might be steak and when you go to the guide life you go to top ramen yeah maybe some fish if your client gives you some so you know nobody needs to to really beat each other up verbally and and do all these types of things every one of these guides out there or, or aspiring guides, are working extremely hard to make a living and they and I'll get comments occasionally yeah, I, I went out on a boat with so and so, but I know what he was doing. He was, he was only taking us to the to the small fish holes, saving the big fish holes for his special clients and his family or himself. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Do you really think that's what happens? There is so much pride on these boats out here in Alaska, California, yeah. Oregon, Washington. Man, we want every fish we can get at legally and the biggest fish we can get legally because we want to post it and brag about it and celebrate it, you know, and beat our chest a little bit about it and then sit down and, and bow the knee and humbly thank the Lord for allowing us to do that. So true. So to think that to think these guys don't have an extreme amount of pride and are trying to do the best they can every trip you don't know the guys like the i i forgot one last thing and that's the uh you also have to be able to handle the pressure and stress of not producing i -hmm. was listening to a podcast uh from washington a, a Stillhead podcast last night and uh and then two of the guys on the podcast were were two of the, There's three hosts, and two of them were asking the one host, which is an extremely fishy guy. And they're asking, "Why aren't you? A, why aren't you a guy?" And he says, "Because I listen to your guys' stories every day about the pressure and stress to catch your clients a fish." And he goes, "And I,", I he goes, "I can't live with that. I cannot do that." And, and man, that, that that hit home. He was exactly right. We have a lot of stress to produce, and people don't realize that. And we, so there is some stress in our office on the river and in the woods, and that is to produce.
0: Mhm. Mhm. Well, yeah, yeah, I- I- exactly, exactly. You know, and and I hear it all the time that uh, you know people will say, "Gosh, you know, I." What a, what a great life a guide has. All they do is, is, is fish all day long. Well, you're only looking at about half of their day when, when you say that. Um, there, there's a lot more preparation work in, in, mm-hmm. and and uh, logistics and everything else that, that you guys go through that people just don't see you're doing behind the scenes.
1: I... Uh... I calculated with my wife this season, bear season's still going, but I didn't take anybody out for December because I felt it was unfair for me to take their money because it's just too, too tough to get a bear in December. So we calculated out my wages for this bear season. Uh, that includes gas materials, incidentals, driving to and from cameras, my time out there doing it. Da-da-da-da-da. I made about $6 and 17 cents an hour this season. Wow, does that include overtime? Yep, there is no overtime in the guy's world. <laughs> <laughs> I'm <Yeah>. salaried. <laughs> it, it's all yeah, bad. six seven six six seventeen an hour, and uh, but we always do say, yeah, this is my I do have the greatest office in the world. That that is for sure. But behind the scenes, you know, there it, sometimes it is a grind. Getting up at four <laughs> in the morning. You know to go meet your clients or you know get on the water by 5:30 or 6 you know we're always we got to go to the sandwich shop you know find the places that open at six that'll make the sound just because you don't want it soggy for the night before and you yeah. know all the things that that we're doing to prep and all like i mean flies you know the bugs that we use fly fishing they're expensive you know, the leader and chipping material and everything. You know, everybody goes, man, you make $400 a trip. You guys are getting rich. Well, if you calculate everything and the amount of gear that happens and the, the gear that we buy, and then when when the clients break, you know, two sages, sage rods, and one net in one trip, that gets pretty expensive. You have to do quite a few more trips to, to make up for the loss on that you know, one individual that fell and broke all your gear, you know. And that's oh, a true story, by the way, on, on my son's boat.
0: Oh, boy, that is an expensive trip. That uh, That's a week or two to pay for that one. Holy smokes, that's crazy. <laughs> well, hey, Especially I, I if can't... you don't have the proper insurance. Uh, uh, another real important question I have for you is, uh, you know, where, where do you what, what side of the fence are you on in regards to are you a banana-free or a banana-friendly boat?
1: <laughs> oh my god you know okay so in alaska especially you better not even bring a banana into the state <laughs> um Good point. and uh yeah and uh whether there's truth to that or not i mean there's 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 myths and then there's science you know i've heard it all from well apparently mm-hmm. there's a chemical that that you know, or whatever that's in a, in a banana that actually breaks down. So if you end up throwing it in the water or you're touching the banana and then you're touching the line, it breaks down to such and such. And, you know, I've heard so much different scientific stuff. and Then I've heard the theoretic stuff. And then I've heard the, uh, oh, the superstitious stuff and all that. So I've always just listened to wisdom and the, the guys with wisdom and the OG guys when I was growing up that don't allow a banana on the boat, so I don't allow a banana on the boat. And that that includes if you eat one before, like at the hotel, and I find out you ate a banana, you need to go to the freaking bathroom before you get on the boat because (laughs) it's still in your stomach. Yeah, good point. (laughs) But, uh, But it's not because I have any wisdom there at all or because I have any knowledge there at all and I'm not a very superstitious guy. But bottom line, the OG guys, the guys that have been around forever that have probably caught more salmon and still heading trout um, than my family ever will together combined. Um, We know some of them guys. And and when they say don't bring bananas on a boat and only use Lemon Joy Ultra Soap to wash your gear, that's Mm -hmm. what we do. There you go. There you go. Well
0: Brian I and it's I want right to I was just going to say it's right <laughs> in proverbs. <laughs> well I I want to thank you for uh, quite an interview. This has been a lot of fun today. If people want to contact you about going bear hunting or uh, trout fishing or contacting you about uh, coming up to Alaska and sharing an experience with you up there, how do they do that?
1: So our website, again, is Kinsey Guide Service, that is K-Y-N as in Nora, C-Y, guideservice.com. Our phone number is 530-524-8535, and that's text or call. And, uh, you know, the last thing I want to say, Ted, is, uh, you know, you run my website, and uh it's been a phenomenal website and I get compliments on that website all the time. And uh it's really upped my game having you instead of me running it and uh and uh the, my format ever since I got you on board, I mean you're the one that took me to number one uh on, on Bear Hunts and I wanna thank you. I wanna thank uh, and and wish your uh, your listeners and you a merry christmas and uh, god bless you all and thanks for having me on and if you guys have any questions about alaska or how to book or the tricks of how to book or any questions about bear hunting feel free to give me a call i'm not a very humble guy when it comes to uh bear knowledge i really uh i really feel good about my knowledge with bear hunting so i'll let uh, you know, share anything I any wisdom I got with you. Oh, that's
0: great. Well, well, mm-hmm. Brian, God bless you. Merry Christmas to you and your family. I know Celeste, uh, your lovely wife, is sitting next to you in the in the car. You're headed down to uh, uh, the grandma's house, appropriately, right for the for the holiday, that- bringing her back. And and I just want to uh, thank you both, and uh, especially for yep. the kind words. That's really appreciated. You bet. Merry Christmas to you. Merry Merry Christmas.
2: Christmas. (laughs) Merry Christmas, Celeste.